Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 354. I think, and it really is only since the West Village opened and not even fully yet, but our being able to step out of on-the-ground roles. Like that first year of Emily, Matt worked six nights a week on the pizza oven all shift long. I worked as a host every single night, six nights a week, all shift long. We closed out the restaurant, came in at 9 a.m. the next morning, did all the administrative things, and it felt like we were never, ever going to be able to let go of the control of, you know, those pivotal positions. And then the reason we opened our restaurant was meant to feel like an extension of our home. We used to love before the restaurant and we haven't had time, but we used to love to have dinner parties where Matt would cook for family and friends and I would set the table and we would open nice wines and create this experience. And the whole goal of Emily restaurant has been to be an extension of what we love to do together so much. So um, I feel really grateful that now we're really in a position where um, we can do a little bit more of that again. I just think for people who are headed into business, just making sure they're doing it for the right reasons and um, not overlooking the beauty that already exists in their lives. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Is your restaurant so busy that sometimes guests have to wait 20, 30, maybe even 60 minutes to get sat? Do they ever get so fed up that they just get up and go somewhere else? No Way manages waitlist digitally so that diners can join the waitlist from home and know exactly when to show up. With No Way, you never feel too busy because guests never feel like they have to wait. Check out nowait.com slash Unstoppable for a special offer just for Restaurant Unstoppable listeners. Again, that's nowait.com slash unstoppable. Hey guys, would you like to know the exact marketing strategy a restaurant owner used to generate over $36,000 in sales from just $400 in Facebook ads? Would you like to know how a bar owner doubled her Tuesday night business in just four weeks for just $50 a week? Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy of the industry's number one selling marketing and promotion book, Bar and Rest restaurant success. This book reveals the step-by-step marketing plan that created these results so you can apply them in your own business. Get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Chef Matt and Emily Highland. Matt, Emily, are you two feeling unstoppable today? Yes, we are. (laughs) All right. I love it. So, Matt and Emily, where to start? What started over a romantic pizza dinner on the floor of a college dorm room in Rhode Island has blossomed into what is probably one of the best known pizza and hamburger joints in New York City. Pizza loves Emily. Three years later, they have a total of three locations, Emily Brooklyn, Emmy Squared, and most recently, Emily West Village. And they've garnered a ton of attention in media along the way, including Vogue, Thrillist, Grub Street, and Travel and Leisure. I can't wait to hear how you guys did this, the path you took to get to where you are today. But before we start, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us? 
<laughs> Who wants to uh, go first? <laughs> um, a success. I, I just think my, my mantra, especially right now in my life, is just take it one moment at a time. One moment at a time. And Matt, do you have anything to add to that? Um, you know, not necessarily for uh, business stuff, but for kitchen stuff, everything is sharp and hot and work faster. Sharp and hard, (laughs) sharp and hot work faster. So starting with Emily, what does that mean to you? That one moment at a time? That a lot of unexpected things will come your way when you're open a business, especially when you do it with family and you just have to roll with it and allow life to to take you where it takes you. Yeah, I love it. Sometimes it'll be hard and sometimes it'll be easy, but you're going to get through it at the end of the day. And there seems to be a a common theme with my guests of people who are just really good at being present and in the moment. And uh, does that resonate with you at all? Would you say you are present? Is that a big part of your success? I feel like I really try to be present, but I feel like it's also one of the biggest things I struggle with. Yeah. I think when I was way back in the day when I was hostessing, it was, and it was the line was out the door and it was a really insurmountable task. And I wasn't very good at it at that point. Um, that ability to just like take a breath in and take a breath out got me through those really uh, tough shifts. Mm. And uh, you do have a background of meditation and mindfulness. So maybe that will come out a little bit more. The the, the, the power of being present, the power Thanks. of just being in the moment uh, as we go on with the interview. But Matt, uh, sharp, hot, and faster. Dive into that. Why is that something that echoes within and throughout your kitchen? Because everything is, uh, you know, you have to work with speed and safety and just like do it right and make no mistakes. And obviously mistakes will happen once in a while, but just try to be focused on what you're doing at the present moment and just get it out as fast as possible correctly and just make sure like, you know, really just make sure that, um, you know, you're just, you're just taking the right steps to do it correctly. Awesome. And fast. Beautiful. All right. So let's get this story told. I love your story. Uh, and it sounds like it all started in college. So take us through uh, this uh, l- romance of pizza and people. <laughs> take it from there. Yeah, it's crazy because um, it's crazy because it's true. And I didn't realize <laughs> that until I was writing that story about a week or two before the original location opened. Um Matt and I, I was Matt's RA in college. We lived next door to each other in the dorm and I found myself just sort of walking around the floor one night while um, all his friends had gone out. He was hanging in and uh, very organically, we wound up just chatting and, and having a good time. And then he invited me to order some pizza with him. And uh, we ordered his favorite topping combo, uh, pepperoni and olive and um, sat on the floor and just talked about life and really hit it off. And um, I really, as cheesy as it sounds, and I know I wrote it in the story, but, (laughs) you know, it's in my journal from back then, too, that um, I remember over the second slice of pizza, sort of looked up and had this moment and was like, wow, this is the man I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. Oh, wow. And uh, you guys, I'm assuming, started spending more time together, uh, graduated. And uh, you, Matt, graduated with a degree in computer science. And Emily, what was your degree? I'm curious. Uh, In creative writing. Creative writing. Okay, cool. Uh, So it's interesting to see uh, computer science and creative writing a couple get together and end up where you are now. So I I can't wait to find out how it all kind of unfolded. Um, 
I mean, Matt, uh, I guess let me ask this. When did you guys know that food and beverage or working in restaurants or maybe even owning a restaurant was going to be an option for you? Uh, Well, I was going to drop out of college, culinary school, and Emily convinced me not to. So uh, I I wanted to cook for a long time. Okay. And then once once I graduated with a computer science degree, I went straight to culinary school. Because I didn't really want to do any, I didn't want to fix computers or do anything like that. <laughs> what did your so parents spends, think of that? <laughs> I, I do have to tell you, he spends a lot of time being our internal IT guy, whether he likes it or not. <laughs> yeah, and that's actually a good point because there's a few things you're doing that I do think is interesting. Uh, using technology, I see you use Caviar, I see you're using Resi. Uh, so it's clear that you guys are paying attention to technology, new tools, the leverage. I'm, I'm sure that will come up later in the conversation, how these skills are serving you. What about you, Emily, with your creative writing? How do you think that's been serving you? Um, you know, my creative... I, I, Though I studied creative writing, I went on to get my uh, master's in uh, English education and was a high school teacher and administrator in the public school system here in New York City for many years, and I helped found a school. And I think that my ability to found something seemingly insurmountable and also learn how to implement systems on a large scale and manage challenging situations were the more pivotal influence on my ability to successfully run a restaurant. Yeah. And uh, I, I did, I did catch that doing the research that you did have some uh, educational experience and I was wondering how that was going to play into it, but all these things I'm sure will play into how you run your operation. Uh, even with the branding, communicating what you are with the creative writing, because uh, your branding is spot on, but let's kind of uh, paint a picture on uh, bringing it to Matt and what Matt was up to, uh, looks like Matt, your path to get to where you are today is the path that I would encourage anybody uh, to take, which is go get as much experience as possible working in different restaurants and finding out what it is exactly that lights you up inside. Do you want to take us through that journey? Yeah, um, I think you know longevity is great in restaurants when you're cooking, um, but also you have to experience the way different kitchens work. Um, so I did jump around a little bit and just try to find. You know, you do take like um, like great pieces of advice from chefs and the way restaurants run and the way kitchen works and how expediting flows and things like that. You kind of piece together the things that make sense to you and formulate your own way that you want to have your kitchen run. So I think it's important not just to be at, you know, one place for a long time, but just having, you know, just seeing how different things work. Because, like, you know, if you don't know how one restaurant does something, then like you might be just missing out on a way, you know, um, like a very efficient way to, to run your own restaurant. Yeah. And this is kind of a double edged sword because um, a lot of people, I mean, it, the advice is solid to go out there and get the experience, but how long should you stay at one location? Is there a right amount of time? Can you kind of talk us through how much time you should stay and any uh, things you should be considering when taking a job as far as creating that reputation for yourself, not jumping around too much? Yeah, I mean, at least a year. I mean, a year, a year is a good amount of time. Um, and it also depends on the size of the restaurant, too, and, like, you know, how much involvement you have in it and if there's room for growth and things like that. But I think a year is pretty good. And why is that year the number that, that pops into your head? Uh, I don't know. It's a, it's a round number. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think that's the number that's come up in the past. And I think, uh, you know, when you're taking these jobs, go ahead. Yeah, I think but with the year, you see the entire season of the restaurant going through, like, the slow time through the busy time, how, you, how like, staff works, how, like, um, 
you know, the menu will change and things like that. So every year just kind of makes sense where it's like you'll have different food coming in and out. You'll see like different busy times, how restaurants handle them, how they handle slow times. So I think it just, it's a nice amount of time to see how it works. Yeah. I also have a, a different vantage point to chime in in terms of that year. Please. I think that from a, a restaurateur perspective now, seeing how transient staff is, um, it takes some grit and, um, and, you know, tenacity to work in this industry for the long term if you are trying to advance your career and and committing yourself to being at a restaurant through the the hardships of, you know, a stressful shift where the other lines that you're working with calls out and you're stuck having like a really shitty service or like winding up working like 80 hours one week or whatever. Like those are the the bits of, of hard work that ultimately will show your character as mm-hmm. you do advance in, in career. Absolutely. Thank you so much for going there, Emily. And that was something I was going to add. Like when you're trying to develop a name for yourself, this is a, a tight knit industry. People know each other, people talk. And if you're jumping around, you're, you're not building that integrity, that, that brand, that personal brand for yourself. Uh, you know, people aren't going to want to work with you and people aren't going to want to give uh, mentorship or knowledge to you if you're not willing to give them at least a year of hard work uh, and help you get to the next level and introduce you to the next job, the next person. Uh, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think building relationships and building loyalty um, are real core values of ours. And so we've really tried to foster a community where that supports longevity. And I feel like we've been as relatively successful as you can be with something like that uh, mm-hmm. in the restaurant world. We have many people that have been with us now for, um, you know, one, two, three years. Awesome. And that's a long time since you've been open for like three years. So that's yeah. from the beginning. So that's good. Uh, it's amazing. And uh, I kind of want to dive deeper into uh, the jobs that uh, – Matt was taking not like too deep, but kind of just paint the picture of the 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 court or the the route you took to get to where you are, and then I want to come back to you, Emily, to find out what you were doing doing during this time where Matt was getting the the kitchen and the hands on experience. So, Matt, um, were you being intentional when you were taking these jobs? Like, was there or were you just taking jobs, or were you taking it with the intent to get something, to learn something, to move ahead? Yeah, I wanted to definitely like just vary my cuisine of things I knew. I worked at a Japanese restaurants. I worked at a Breslin. Um, and like a few other, I worked at a barbecue place. Public. Yeah, public. Um, just a few places that, you know, very like, you know, just like an eclectic mix of restaurants that are different sizes, like different areas in the city and different, like different, like drastically different food and like technique. So I, I want to know, like, just see how that went. And then I want to, after I left that sort of regular line cooking, I want to sort of specialize in, in a cuisine. So, uh, I mean, obviously everyone loves pizza, so I want to make pizza and that's just really, I really fell in love with making pizza. So how much time elapsed from the time that you, uh, graduated culinary school to the time that you decided that pizza was going to be your jam? Because looking at your work history, I mean, you have the, you have pastry at the public house, smoking meats, the, the smoke joint, and, uh, then you helped open uh, another restaurant and that's kind of when you really, fell in love with pizza. So how much, how much, how long did it take you to find your passion? Uh, I kind of started making pizza in 2010 or 11. Maybe 2011. I started making pizza. I think 2009. No, it was the first one, 2009. Uh, yeah. So I, I think, I think, um, I graduated in 2004 from culinary school. Okay. And then, um, 
I think 2011, I started Central Casa, which is a pizza place in our neighborhood. Okay, so six or seven years of really getting in there, getting experience, and trying to find what it is that really lights you up. Is that safe to say? Yeah. And then an additional three years of really being focused on pizza and fine-tuning that skill with mentors and opening other pizza restaurants. So take us, I mean, what was going through your mind? Uh, I guess at that point, when you, when you found out that pizza is your jam, like were you being intentional? Were you taking jobs of being like, okay, like this is going to give me this certain skill or that's like, what was going on in your head? Yeah. Um, well, once, you know, once I started making pizza at Soda Casa, um, they're doing super traditional Neapolitan pizza. And it's a really good, like they're doing really good pizza. And I, you know, I was thinking that, I love this pizza so much and it's like the base of what pizza should be and what it was and what it like it's been since the beginning, mm-hmm. but I wanted to put my own spin on it. So, you know, I took a job at Pizza Moto, um, who they're doing like a slightly, they're doing a variation of, um, you know, that kind of pizza. It's like Americanized version. And then when I want to make my own pizza, I want to do an even more Americanized version, but still have a wood fired oven and still have some, you know, like classic classic technique with it but put my own like american spin on it okay so it was definitely intentional to to kind of you know move around from pizza like to a few pizza places to kind of see how they're making pizza at this point matt were you certain you were going to open your own restaurant like like when did you know that ultimately you're working towards opening your own place like when did that come into frame you wanted to start making pizza okay then there was like no question no questions asked i was i was opening a pizza place Okay. I was in the first week of making pizza. I knew it. Okay. And did you have a deadline? I'm oh, sorry. Cop in, Emily. I think what um, what's always been really a privilege for me, and, you know, it doesn't happen as much now that we're a little bit more off the ground, is but when I used to go visit Matt um, at Sosa Casa, seeing him at the oven there, and then in the early days of Emily, like, I think it's, I think it's rarely, I, I think it's really, truly very rare to see somebody like doing exactly what they're meant to be doing. Like Matt cooking at the oven, like working with the dough is like, that's the thing he's supposed to be doing with his life. And, you know, you can see that sort of aura around somebody who's found their calling and um, you you can really just see it. And um, he makes such beautiful pizza and loves that craft so much. So I, I, I remember that excitement so, so vividly. Mm, that's awesome. Thank you for painting that picture for us. And um, I guess I want to know once you knew that pizza was going to be your jam, you're, you're working intentionally. Like, did you set goals for yourself? Did you have deadlines? Like what things did you do? And I haven't forgotten about you, Emily. I want to come back and get your story during this time. Uh, but for the sake of like trying to stay organized, I want to get one story at a time. Um, like what things did you do to, to make it all happen? Like there, is there any advice you can give the listener like who's going through this, this visionary stage this explore exploration stage, things that you did during that time that you can share with them to help them make it happen. And really having like deadline goals and just sort of like when the time felt right to do it, we just did it. Um, and I think you'll know when the time is right when you know, you're, you're just ready to draw in your entire life and just go for it because there's no more friends. There's no more families, no holidays anymore. And like, once you're ready, once you're ready to make that sacrifice, I think you're ready to do it. Okay. So you're saying the time is right when it's your priority, when you're willing to sacrifice uh, friends, the time with friends, time with family time, doing other things. This is what you do. This is what you 
breathe, why you breathe, why you pump blood through your veins. Like this is it. That's when you know yeah. the time is right. Yeah. Once you, once you're willing, willing to say to yourself, like, I'm not going to have a life anymore except for the restaurant and all I'm going to do is the restaurants and you're ready. Okay. So Emily, now I'm curious, um, where, what were you doing during this time when, Matt was out there getting the experience, finding out what it was that lit him up. Uh, what was your life looking like at this point? Um, well, I was, he was, you know, it's a hard job to be a line cook or, you know, an hourly worker in kitchens. So I was really our breadwinner. Um, I was working in the public school system as a, a teacher and on track to become a principal. I was um, studying at Bank Street to get my school building leader license. And then, um, I felt really unhappy and over sort of overworked by the public school system at the time that Matt was really entering into the world of pizza. And so I embarked on a journey to um, resign from the pressures of the public school system and withdraw from school to pursue studying yoga. And through that, that afforded me the perspective to believe in, you know, being able to change your life mm-hmm. and um, also the, the space and time in my life to support my husband in fulfilling his dream. So how, I'm curious, how did yoga help change your perspective? What does yoga do for us to help us get into that mindset c- to really take control of our life and to make what we want happen? Um, I think it's less about taking control of your life and making what you want happen and more being able to create space for the right energy to come in. And there was the space that that afforded me to reorient towards something that felt really special and beautiful. What do you mean by that? Create space for the right energy. Just like your, <laughs> um, I, I think, I think yoga allows you to. Sorry. I, down your <laughs> I asked tough questions. <laughs> no, they're good. I, I think that of mindfulness requires you to set yourself up to be a little bit more vulnerable to what life has to offer. And when I left my career in the school system, like, you know, Matt was super supportive of that, but like my parents were not happy with me. And I went from like, you know, a career oriented salary job to making like, you know, like 80 bucks a week teaching a few classes and that sort of thing. But it was giving me the opportunity to get a better sense of perspective. And then um, because I, I took that ch- chance and passed, all of a sudden what was meant to be really emerged and I didn't even have control over it. I just, it just was what I was to do, you know? Mm. Uh, I love what you're sharing with us right now, Emily. Uh, been recently kind of exploring the whole idea of mindfulness and the importance of just meditation and yoga. Um, you said something, uh, mindfulness sets you up for what life has to offer. So explain to the listener what mindfulness is and what you meant by that. I think that mindfulness and, you know, honestly, my, my yoga and spiritual practice really wound up, um, taking a pretty significant back burner once Emily opened. So, you know, I'm just now dipping my toes back in that water more honestly. But I think that that level of mindfulness affords you the opportunity to to really just accept the circumstances of where you are and know that you don't have control of where your future is headed, but that all you can do is really take a chance on things you believe in. And I believed in this project and, you know, I was very fearful that it was going to fail. And Matt believed 
this is going to work. It just is. This is what I'm going to do with my life. It's going to work. And, um, and it was amazing to be part of the process of, of helping support that. Okay. Um, I love, I love everything you're sharing with us right now. I really do. And you said, uh, that it helped you take a, you know, it helped you take a chance or, Sorry, I'm trying. I was writing really fast, and I don't have a great memory, so I'm trying to read my cat scratch right now. I think you said take a chance on what you know um, really matters, or what what's going to happen, accepting what's just going to happen. So, um, I mean, that big part of that was just taking a chance. And so often we have these visions, we have these dreams, but we never take the chance. So, I mean, what? Oh man, how do I ask? I mean, is there anything that's going through your mind right now that? while I speak gibberish that you want to share <laughs> I'm like all over the well, place. Well, right I now. think, you know, I think that when I told my colleagues I was leaving the department of education, um, you know, a lot of them were like, what are you crazy? I only have like 12 more years and then I can retire and I'll be like, you know, 44 and reinvent myself then or whatever. And, um, there's a real lack of sort of being in the present, you know, like you could be dead by then, you know, who yeah. else God knows what can happen by then. And, um, I just think that I, our philosophy was sort of like, okay, this is really scary and it's going to be really hard and neither of us know what we're doing, but we believe in this project. And if it fails, like really what is the worst that happens? Like we have family, we can go, you know, I always joke, like we could go live at my mother-in-law's house, you know, (laughs) in the basement, but like we have a roof over our head. We have each other. We have our health. We have families. We have food on the table. So, you know, at the end of the day, if your dreams come crashing down, your basic needs are still met, and mm-hmm. then you can build yourself back up from there. Mm, I love it. So, um, it was around this time, the you know, when Matt was working in the pizza place, that he's like, okay, this is going to happen. My own place is going to happen sometime. I'm just fine tuning. Uh, the skill, the trade, the craft. Um, when did the conversation happen? Like the actual, like this is actually something that could really happen, and we're going to open our own place. Do you remember that moment, that conversation? Yeah. Well, I remember for Emily. I mean, we had so we had um, we had a foray into opening a, a restaurant in Park Slope called Brooklyn Central that we sort of impulsively dove, dove into this other line cook that Matt was working with at the pizza restaurant had some startup capital. And Matt was like, look, this guy needs a partner. We can't do this without that extra capital. Let's do this. And then we did that. And it was like a terrible experience. We learned a lot about what it means to be in a partnership and got out of there as soon as it opened. Um, And then we spent, you know, a good few months soul searching and, and, you know, figuring out what we were going to do. I wanted to like go up to Portland and, you know, maybe open a food truck together, like, Matt wasn't sure, you know, he wanted to open a potato chip factory. Like we had all these wild ideas <laughs> that, that we might do. And then um, one day Matt was like, let's, what was it like? Let's take a drive up into Clinton Hill or we'd never really been into Clinton Hill. We we're just driving around one day. And he was like, Oh, I heard of this place called the Wallace that um, we should go try to eat at. It he used to work for Talday. Who's a Bill Talday, who's a, a buddy of mine. And um, so we drove down Fulton street and, we see this little place where the Wallace was with like a for rent sign on it. And that day we like parked the car and go popped our heads through the, the grates. And we're like, and both were just like, this is, this is the space for the restaurant. And then we went and sat at a little coffee shop up the street. And I was just looking at this picture the other day of, I, I took a picture of Matt that day. 
um, where we like sat with my notebook and drew up how much key money it might cost to get in there, called the landlord immediately and um, got the process rolling. We didn't do any like demographic research. We didn't really know the neighborhood that well at all. We just had this gut feeling that it was right. And, um, and so that was um, a really pivotal moment. Remember it was, it's called Alice's Arbor. Uh-huh. Alice's Arbor. We sat outside and talked through um, fulfilling the stream together. Awesome. And uh, I'm really curious uh, about something that you, you mentioned kind of quickly in the story, which was this terrible partnership. Um, I feel like there's a lot we can learn from the mistakes of other people rushing into things. So what was the big lesson in this partnership that didn't work? Like hindsight being 2020, what would you have done differently entering into that partnership uh, that would have, you know, maybe better served you? Don't have partners. <laughs> uh, what would really dive into it though? Like without, I mean, getting t- like too specific, like what was wrong with the partnership? I think that partnerships in all businesses, but especially in restaurants collapse way more often than anybody realizes. Um, and it's partnerships are like a marriage and they require a lot of, a lot of work and, um, and a lot of compromise and, you know, commitment to working on things and also being on the same page. And we jumped in with somebody that we didn't know very well we didn't have clear roles defined for what everybody was doing. And it just watered down from there. Um, And, you know, we've learned through the multiple restaurants that we have that you really, there's not very many people in this world that you can trust, especially when it comes down to opening a business and having investors or partners who put up equity that um, you really truly have a very small circle of people that you can trust. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm going to challenge you a little bit because you two are a partnership. You should challenge. <laughs> well, because hear me <laughs> out. It, you, you two are a partnership, though, are you not? The two of you in this business yeah. together? Uh, well, we also each other for uh, 12 years. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I agree with you 100%. You didn't know him well enough. You just kind of dove into the partnership. Like You don't want to go into partnerships with people you don't know well enough. And I think back to David Query of Big Red F out of Denver, uh, extremely successful restaurateur. And he said, well, you want to treat partners like a significant other in the sense that you don't want to go into business with them unless you're willing to marry them. And that's what a partnership is. It's a marriage with somebody because you're literally going to be committed to this person potentially for the rest of your life through that partnership. Uh, so are partnerships dangerous? Yes. If you find the wrong partner and it sounded like you found the wrong partner was, it sounds like there might've been trust issues. Did you guys not compliment each other? Well, um, you know, I, I we just had different visions, but like we had the same vision. We opened okay. and then okay. like, the other, the other person's vision drastically changed within a week, different visions. There's some gold there. Why, why is it so important to take the time to make sure you're going in the same direction, that you have the same vision, that you want to get to the same destination? But that's what we did. We had business plan, we had vision, we had menus written up, and then within a week, we wanted to change every every single thing about it. So I was like, well, I don't want to do. I don't. I don't want to change the vision I had because I don't want to compromise. I just think it's amazing how quickly the rug can be pulled out when you least expect it. Mm. What do you mean and by that? I just think in, you know, a number of circumstances with the people we've interacted with over the years and the various partners we've had, 
you really don't know who has your best interest in mind. Oh. Yeah, I say trust nobody in the restaurant business. So like, <laughs> do it yourself. Don't get partners. Okay. And I, I also think that, you know, you know, like working with family also creates its own set of problems as well. So it's really important for people who go into businesses as a family to uh, to be mindful of the impact that that will have on um, their outside of work relationships. Mm. The big lessons I have from this part of your, your life, this part of your story is uh, don't go into business with people you don't know really well, almost to the point where they're like, you know, like 12 years is how long you two knew each other before you went to business together and um, make sure you have the same vision. Make sure everybody's there to accomplish the same exact thing that to, to fight for the same exact thing where we all want this, th- that same outcome, the same concept, whatever you want to call it. Uh, make sure you're all aligned is the, the big lesson I'm getting. Is that safe to say? Yeah, I just, I think that my learning from business is that business can also take control of your life and priorities can be lost, you know, and you lose a lot along the way when all of a sudden it's like, wow, success is here. We're able to make more money. We're able to grow our business, but at what cost? And I feel like I've, I've, I've felt a lot of that cost over the years. Mm. So in terms of the family members, I haven't spent time with um, the relationships that I haven't worked on. And, um, and my business is not as important in those things, but I let it be. Mm. Well, I, that you bring up a really good point. And I, I feel like, I feel like that's going to come out as we keep going. So I, I just want to ask, um, and then we'll kind of pull back the layers as we go. What did you do differently with pizza loves Emily that, made it successful versus some of these other ventures you went into, like from that point all this experience you had going on to pizza loves Emily, what was different about that? I think the difference with pizza loves Emily was that it was just me and Matt. Okay. And, um, what about the whole process of going through the opening? Uh, were you guys, I mean, did you have, I mean, to me, it seems like this was a vision you guys had together. It was your thing. Um, you, and plus your, your partnership, uh, let's talk about your partnership. What did you each bring to the table? Well, I mean, I, I obviously added all the culinary stuff to it and like all the back end of like, uh, like food and red, like, you know, developing recipes and like getting on like kitchen equipment and things like that. And, um, and then Emily did all like the front of house stuff too, like all the, the liquor and like the hiring of the staff in front and all that kind of stuff. Okay. And I, I'm curious, Emily, what do you think your education background brought to this as far as training, developing, mentoring young people, majority young people in the restaurant industry? Do you think that served you at all? Um, I think that some of the biggest takeaways from working in the public school system are the populations of students that I worked with were some of the most like at risk, tiny kiddos in the city. Um, many who'd been in and out of prison, you know, living in shelters and um, a lot of, you know, people in kitchens are from backgrounds of dropping out of high school and living in a shelter or having been in and out of prison or dealing with a substance abuse problem or whatever. And so I feel like I had a good amount of ability to interact with um, the types of people who are in our restaurants and provide a level of, 
you know, more human guidance and support so that we could sustain them as employees and be sensitive to the larger issues of um, what brings them to, you know, hourly work at, you know, 11, 11, 12 bucks an hour. So, man, I really want to pull back the layers on that because you're absolutely right. There, there is definitely an issue with substance abuse, uh, alcoholism, drug abuse in our industry. And what do you do to kind of um, combat that with all you've learned doing the work you've done? I mean, honestly, like I barely drank before Emily opened, like Matt and I would go out and have like maybe like a bottle of wine twice a week when we go out to dinner or something like that. And I've watched myself become somebody who drinks much more heavily um, over the past few years. Um, and that's not something that I like or want. And it's something I'm trying to, you know, um, not do as much. I think Matt the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kind of cut down recently, but basically, yeah, you, you kind of just, it's just around you all the time and then work is stressful and you out and then, and then you try to bust the steam and then you just keep doing it again over and over and over and it becomes a bad habit. So you guys are making strides in the right direction. What's your advice for that person out there who's kind of having the same conversation with themselves? Like what things have you done? What habits have you developed to, to be better about that? Well, I started feeling like shit after a while. Excuse me, sorry. I started feeling like that after a while where I would be, I would be, uh, you know, I'd be drinking and then like, I feel like not very good at work. And then like, you know, I tend to prioritize what was more important to me. So like, I've got temporary, like getting drunk and then, or like feeling good about what I'm doing in my job and feeling good at work. So it's basically just like a lifestyle choice. Awesome. Uh, what about you, Emily? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Um, I am really reprioritizing what it means to care for myself. I've cared about my business more than anything else in my life for the past four years. And, um, my life has suffered as a result of that. And so it's really important to me that I reevaluate what, what I want and who I want and how I want to be in this world. And um, my restaurant no longer comes first. I come first. I love what you just said, and I couldn't agree with you more. And it's, uh, you know, it's like the analogy they use when you're on a plane, right? Like before you take care of anybody else, the oxygen mask, you got to put your mask on first. You got to take care of yourself first so you can be fit. So you can be in the right frame of mind. So you can be healthy enough to take care of everyone else. So would you say that you guys got to that point where you push yourself too hard, where it got unhealthy and that you you kind of were, you weren't able to take care of your team? Yeah. And we weren't able to take care of each other. And the the thing you started doing from that point that you recognize it really shine some light on what we need to do to, to start turning things around. And it sounds like what you're saying is just start really reflecting on what's most important. And that would be fill in the blank. I mean, I think the things that are most important are again, like our self care are mm. taking care of this temple that is our body and taking care and tending to the relationships that mean most to us in life. You know, like my mom was, um, my mom was diagnosed with stage four breast oh, cancer. No. Um, and I found out maybe like, maybe like six or eight weeks before we opened Emily original, like three and a half years ago. And I feel like up until very, very recently and, you know, thank God she's still with us right now. But I really, I really like 
buried that deep into like a level of denial and didn't address my feelings about it or participate with her in a way I needed to because I was in so sucked into how fast moving the restaurant life is. Mm. So man, I feel like we're like kind of in a dark place right now, but I'm, I'm happy that we're talking about this. I'm, I'm grateful that you guys are opening up because it's real. Like to be successful in this industry, you need to give so much of yourself. And I'm curious, like, do you, do you see yourselves moving in the right direction? Are you getting more control over your business because you're having more control of your life? You're, you're giving back to yourself. Like, is there light at the end of the tunnel for you guys right now? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I hope so. Cause you guys sound great. Yeah. I, yeah. I, hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not all like, like somber. I mean, that's just the reality though. Having yeah. a restaurant. I mean, there's obviously some great parts of it too. Like, I mean, it's mostly great, but it does, it does just take a, it just does wear down like the human spirit a little bit to, to run a restaurant. And so, you know, like have low margins and work so hard and that kind of stuff. But you know, it, it, it is tremendously rewarding on the same, on the same side. And, you know, I think just looking at the positive aspects of people coming in and being happy and just like enjoying your food, enjoying the service, you know, that's, that's a good way to look at it and try to make things feel better about yourself as well. Absolutely. So, oh man, there's so many things I want to talk about. I don't know what direction to go in. Let me ask you guys, uh, it's, it's been, you opened it in 2014. Uh, what was the, the biggest challenge for you uh, in that opening? Uh, and how did you overcome it? I'd say the hardest part of it was trying to, for me in the kitchen, was trying to just conceptualize how we have a construction site and how at, at one day it'll be like a server will like push some buttons, the ticket will come up and food will come out. It was sort of like having the, have the kitchen flow and have the, making it all work and just having assistance put in place. I think that was the most challenging thing, just have it just up and going. And then once it's going, just maintaining it, you know, it's, you know, it's hard as well, but just the, the first, the first initial, like just, Standing in like a pile of like you know rocks and like broken cement, being like, how the hell is this ever going to work? That was, that was a really challenging kind of hump to get over. So, what was the secret for you to get over that? Would, like, what what do you think you did that really contributed to your ability to get over that challenge? You know, I just try to have uh, like very very good systems in place, and just try to keep thinking over and over and over again about like how to make things more efficient and where things should go, and and how to do things like that. Just you know. Don't don't just settle for ah this will probably work but let's see what happens just you know, keep on testing and, and, and you know tinkering and things like that. So it's like, and go ahead and never stop never stop trying. I mean I think one of Matt's strengths, but also something that maybe consumes him a little bit is that no matter how good it is, it could always be better, and he never gives up on trying to make it as awesome as possible yeah and i the word that keeps coming into my my head right now is kaizen that japanese business philosophy of always showing up just to do it a little bit better no matter how good you think it is there's always something that can pivot or change or be more efficient is and that's what i'm hearing from you did i cut one of you off i'm sorry if i did nope no not at all awesome uh so okay so the biggest challenge you said was really getting those systems in place and constantly showing up to improve them uh what else was going on during the early years that really challenged you that you were able to overcome that has contributed to your success? I think, and it really is only since the West village opened and not even fully yet, but our being able to step out of on the ground roles. Like that first year of Emily, Matt worked 
six nights a week on the pizza oven, all shift long. I worked as a host every single night, six nights a week, all shift long. We closed out the restaurant, came in at 9 a.m. the next morning, did all the administrative things, and it felt like we were never, ever going to be able to let go of the control of, you know, those pivotal positions. And then when Emmy squared opened, there was a little bit of that, but we were putting out fires and jumping in and cooking and, you know, hosting and all of that sort of thing. Um, and we have done a lot less of that in the West village and are really trying to, you know, get a little bit off the ground into the more restaurateur component of what we do so that Matt can really have the freedom and space to create and develop, which he does so well. Um, he loves to play with ingredients and barely works off of recipes. And it's really special to, um, for him to have that time to create because that's when things like Emmy sauce on the Emmy burger emerge, you know. Um, and it's been really nice for me to really get to actually spend quality time with guests in the dining room as opposed to standing at the door doing logistics because the reason we opened our restaurant was meant to feel like an extension of our home. We used to love before the restaurant and we haven't had time, but we used to love to have dinner parties where Matt would cook for family and friends and I would set the table and we would open nice wines and create this experience. And the whole goal of Emily restaurant has been to be an extension of what we love to do together so much. So um, I feel really grateful that, now we're really in a position where um, we can do a little bit more of that again. I love that. And I, I love that you went down this role of, because uh, I think it's a challenge that every one of us faces in opening a restaurant that first couple years of uh, being on the floor every day, doing the work, working in your business, not in, on your business. Uh, and what were the key things that you think you did that enabled you to step out of that day-to-day working in your business from being able to work on your business? Like what advice do you have for the listeners to, to make that transition? Pay a little bit extra for better quality managers and head chefs. Right. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Anything else? I don't know. I guess trust those people you're paying. Well, (laughs) yeah. Release, release control. You say trust those people. Well, is that what I heard? Yeah, to trust trust the people that you've hired. You know, I mean, if, if you hire somebody who does cost a lot of money, they don't want to be micromanaged. Like you have to look, kind of let them do their thing, and and uh, you know, just you obviously check in on them, but you know, trust that they're doing what what you want and following your vision. Okay, so I have pay them well, trust them well. Um, how do they know how to do the the job? Like, how did you set them up for success? I think that creating culture in our company has been one of my pivotal responsibilities and interests. And so there's been a lot of um, trying to infuse the values that we have and the type of company we are into the leadership members of our team so that they can embrace those and honor those with the hourly workers that work below them. What are those values, Emily? Um, You know, I have them down actually hold on if you give me a minute i can find them real quick yeah absolutely i would love that i uh i do a core values exercise with our teams during training um let's see here so our core values are um community constructive communication sincerity high expectations 
self-empowerment, consistency, and above all, integrity. Mm, I love it. And it's, it's great to have these values, but what are you doing in your business to impose these values on your people every day? How do you live these values? you want to speak to that at all? Um, really, I just feel like I, I really try to be my most authentic self. And I think that that is a good thing and also a challenging thing because then yourself becomes your business, but your business is not yourself. So um, it's a fine line to walk trying to build an authentic community that really means something and you really believe in. And then as your business grows, processing that that meaning has been a little bit lost and it really is just a business. So... I want to make sure I heard you. Are you are you saying that you want to avoid losing control of these things, or, or have you got you know, you haven't gotten to the point where it's just a business? Have you? I mean, that was question. Have we gotten to the point that it's just a business? <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's not just. I mean, we have, yeah. we have to treat it like that first and foremost financially. Okay, you know, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. still passion in the in the restaurant. Absolutely. Have, yeah. Okay. Cool. I want to make sure I heard you right. Um, so the other thing. Uh, I love what you said about being authentic and not just writing these down, but these are actually an extension of the things you believe and you live these things every day. And like you said earlier, you give trust, like all these things that you listed. Uh, if you, if you live those things and you give those things, these values to your people uh, and set that standard and pull them along instead of push them along, would you say you're pulling them along by living these values and being authentic? Is that what's happening? I think so. Um, a lot of key players now are people that started as hourly workers and have grown into leadership roles um, who have been with us and learned those values as um, pizza makers or waitresses or bartenders who now are shaping the direction of our company. Yeah. And that's something that's really crucial. I want to point out like opening three locations uh, going on four years now, or yeah, almost it was 2014 was the first location. So three years. So how do you keep that culture solid with bringing more and more people on? Um, what's the biggest hurdle there keeping that, that culture solid? I think that we just like when I walk through the dining room and touch tables and really build true connections with guests, it's the same thing at the restaurant coming in, saying hi, knowing everybody's name, asking about, you know, Trevor's son or asking Kim to do a magic trick for me or asking about, you know, Teresa's course of study when she goes back to college in the fall and just really really caring about the people and knowing the people who are the soldiers on the ground doing the really hard work. Mm, I love it. And uh, looking at the time now, we got to start thinking about wrapping up this portion of the interview. So let me ask, like if there's two or three things that you've learned uh, that you just know without a doubt to be true about this industry, this industry that's contributed to your, your success, what would they be? Giving up everything for your restaurant. Giving up everything for your restaurant and yeah, that, that dedication. If, you, if you're not dedicated to it, if you just want to do this as like a, a hobby or like it sounds fun to have a restaurant, you're not going to make it. It becomes your life. And if you really want to succeed, you have to you have to sacrifice things that were really important to you. Has it been worth it? Yeah. 
Good. Definitely. Good. That's what I like yeah. to hear. Uh, and, you know, I think you guys, it's incredible what you've accomplished in three years, scaling at the rate you've scaled and having such an impact on your guests. I can only imagine how difficult that is. Uh, and you're doing it well. And from what I've learned studying successful people, it, the more you do it, the more of an impact you have, the more greatness you attract onto yourself, the more incredible people you attract onto yourself over time, uh, you can slowly start to move yourself out of that day to day. And it, it like, and it, we've been kind of like real, really real this episode. And I love it. Uh, but I do think that there, when you take the time to have those values, to have this culture, to care for the people that you, that work for you and to, to do that continuously over time, it does pay off. It, it does build momentum. It does get easier. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, it does. I mean, I mean, having one restaurant, like it's, it's very difficult to picture any way out. Like you're almost trapped by it where you're, you have to be there all the time because you're the, you know, I'm cooking, Emily's in the front. It just sort of like, there's no way to, uh, you know, uh, to think of like how there, how it couldn't be like that. But yeah, as you're hiring more and as there's more people, and there's managers and there's operational manager. I mean, things are, once they start scaling bigger, you know, um, it does get somewhat easier, you know, um, and then you're mostly making like business decisions for a bigger business instead yeah. of just kind of being on the ground cooking, but mm-hmm. it, it does get a little bit easier. Cool. I think the thing for me, and this might not answer your question, but is that we are in the middle of the project of mm-hmm. our lives. And, um, that's a truly fantastic and extraordinary and very blessed opportunity to have. And, um, and we won't ever get this time back again. You know, nothing is um, infinite and we have this, we're, we're, we're living, we're living the project of our lives right now, each and every day. Mm, I love it. Any other bombs you want to drop on us, uh, things you know to be true uh, that have contributed to your success and gotten you to this point? Um, I don't know. I think for me with cooking, it's just like have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, cook what you want to eat. And then like, I think people will like it. I'm not, I don't, I don't try to cook with like any sort of, um, or, or like run the kitchen with any sort of like, you know, like what's trendy or what's this or that. Like here's some stuff I like to eat and most people probably like to eat it too. So here you go. So I think that's kind of contributes to the success of our, our restaurant with our food. Awesome. Yeah. Have fun. You know, have fun with it. Matt's always been very lighthearted with his cooking and cooking <laughs> with love. You know, it, it really is about the care that's put into how things are crafted. And um, I think the same about walking around the dining room and, and feeding diners and talking to them, it's not about being phony. It's about sharing a part of yourself that really means something and building a real connection. And that's what makes people come back. Beautiful. I love it. I think we're at a good point to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. Do you use a wait list when you've got more guests than tables? Maybe your lobby's just cramped or there's a line going out the door. Well, first off, way to go. Good for you. Your food rocks. People love you. Secondly, there is an easier way. Let's talk about No Wait. It's an app because today, let's be honest, everything's an app, but this app really will make your customers' lives easier. No Wait handles your wait list digitally. It makes it easy for customers to add themselves from anywhere. Then it tells them when to head to your restaurant to get seated 
with as little weight as humanly possible. It's a VIP experience that guests love and it brings them back again and again. That means no more unhappy campers passing you up to go someplace else less busy. You're busy because you earned it. Check out noway.com slash unstoppable for a special offer just because your restaurant unstoppable listeners. That's noway.com slash unstoppable. Don't let success steal your customers away. Yo, guys, so if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a restaurant or bar owner who wants to be a better leader, who wants to make more money, who wants to be more successful, who wants to work smarter, not harder, and you just want to be great, which means you know you can never stop educating yourself. If that sounds like you and you want to learn how to attract more new customers and get a competitive edge over your competition, sounds pretty good, right? Then you need to listen to this message. You got to listen. Just ready for it? Here it is. Leading industry expert. Nick Fosberg and past guest of Restaurant Unstoppable wrote what I believe to be the best how-to book on attracting new customers and creating highly profitable promotions on a shoestring budget. And because you're Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, he's going to give you this book not for $30 on Amazon, but you're getting it for free. Yeah, free. Go to freebrsbook.com right now and get a copy. Again, that's freebrsbook.com. Get your free copy while supplies last. We're back. The first question I have for you is what is your it factor? Habits, a trait, characteristics you believe most contribute to your success? I guess starting with Emily. Commitment. Matt, what's your it factor? Grittiness. Do you say prettiness or grittiness? Okay. (laughs) Uh, It helps to be pretty in life, yes. Uh, Grittiness. grittiness. (laughs) Beautiful. He's not that pretty. (laughs) Oh, ouch. Uh, What is your biggest weakness? Communication. Communication. And uh, what about you, Emily? Anxiety. How are you guys overcoming these challenges? I uh, just try to work on it, you know, try to be more constructive talking to people um, in the kitchen and like, you know, telling them, um, you know, exactly what they need to hear and like doing it in an effective manner at the right time. So for you, it's like that positive, uh, that positive reinforcement, communicating how grateful you are, how good people are doing, letting them know that you appreciate like getting that out is the challenge. Yeah, that, no, not necessarily that. Just more of like you know, like like just being more efficient with the communication in the okay. kitchen. Where you know, if you need to, if something needs to be done, just like here, well, here's what it is. Like, let's do this, that kind of thing, and just communicating like the needs of what needs to be done in the kitchen and that kind of stuff. In mm. uh, Emily, you mentioned an anxiety. What what is it that gives you the anxiety? Um, I just think that's something I've always struggled with and yeah. is perpetuated by the nature of the business that we're in. Mm. And I'm I'm working on that by really turning to myself and doing the hard work it means to manage something like that in the world that I'm in. Beautiful. Uh, and what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? For leading others? Yes. Um, I don't know. You want to answer that? <laughs> Be kind. Awesome. And what's one question or thing you look for during the interview process? Um, I, I, I love to ask people like what they like to make at home, like what kind of food they make at home and like just see what they see what they say, you know, like I feel like 
they like to like cook with their grandmother or like make their own stuff or, you know, just, I just, I'm just interested in what they want to do at home. And if someone's kind of like, eh, I don't really do anything or I don't really like food or I don't like a passion for it. So it's a job. Then that's sort of like, well, okay. You know, yeah. I look for people who have like some sort of passion and like, like to like experiment on their own or just have tradition. You just want to see that they can get excited for anything as long as it's something that excites them. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, Emily, what about you? Um, one of my go-to interview questions is, do you have the ability to remove drama from your interactions in your work life? We are a, a no-nonsense, uh, no-nonsense drama, gossip-free type of world and have no tolerance for that. That's huge. I think that's something that people don't realize enough, that the, the harm gossip can have on a team uh it really breaks people apart and uh it's good that you really filter that out i love it and uh what is right now uh your biggest challenge uh i think juggling three restaurants is pretty challenging trying to give each one the attention that it needs um or that i was gonna say something but i didn't i didn't want to cut you off keep going yeah, that's that. I mean, just just giving each uh, restaurant it's, it's special, it's it's attention that it needs, and like knowing what it needs. Because not each restaurant um, does need different things. I mean, you know, one is, you know, if one's kind of tiny, and then it might need more like facility maintenance, and one needs probably like more cooks and more like scheduling like help or ordering. You know, it's just just sort of knowing what each one needs and try, having like helping assist at it. How are you overcoming that? Um, just try to visit each of them as much as I can. Yep. Do you have any advice on getting to that that stage where you're multi, you're managing now three locations? Of like, what what do you do, or what have you started doing differently in your life to be able to do that, to be able to move around and be in multiple places? Well, I'm never I'm never on a schedule where I I am either like you know working the line or working the pizza or anything like that. I, I keep myself like mobile so I can. If I need to jump in, I can just, you know, having an open schedule of I'm going to go here, here, like just no, no, I'm going to do for the day, but not be tied down to a station because something will go wrong and I will have to either fix it or do something. So what's it look like when you're going to these different locations? Uh, Are you like, are you just looking to basically scan and make sure everything's the standard and then like correct when things have drifted? Like, what are you looking for? What are you doing? What's your day look like? Yeah. Like I'll, I'll go behind the line. I look in the low boys and, see if everything's clean and like organized and like how it should be and, you know, check behind the equipment, make sure it's clean there and, and just, just make sure everything is, is up to the standards of what I want and then check in with the managers and the chefs and things like that. Awesome. And uh, what about you, Emily? What's your biggest challenge right now? Uh, my biggest challenge right now, I think is like I was talking about earlier, prioritizing the things that are really important in my life. Um, in a way that the restaurant has taken away from. Uh, okay, so one book. If there's a book that you two could recommend that would make us better people or restaurant owners, what would it be? Um, I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really read a lot of books other than cookbooks. <laughs> well, what's, what's one lesson from a cookbook? Because uh, I know a lot of these cookbooks aren't just recipes. They're life lessons. Uh, they're experiences. What's one cookbook that's really influenced you? Um, I like uh, Ken Forkish's new book. It's like pizza, um, the elements of pizza. Okay. What is it about um, that Ken book that Forkish. lights you up? 
Um, he just has a great story about how he's like traveling around the country and like he went to Italy and just goes all over the place and just talks about like just what makes pizza pizza, but also like, why there's different styles and things like that. I just love the, the depth and just knowledge he has of that. Just trying to think about, you know, just how he's dedicated his life to pizza and how much work he's put into it and like the why, why, why pizza is. Mm-hmm. I just really like his, just his, you know, that passion for it of the why. And do you share this knowledge with your people? Like when you learn these new things, do you pass it forward? Uh, yeah, I usually do. Um, it just really depends on what, you know, how, how it's applicable. Like, you know, I'm not going to really change our dough at this point, yeah. but I like the way that I like, you know, like, I, mean, I like the way Ken like looks at his dough and, and like, you know, like learns the why of his dough and things like that. Awesome. It's just kind of always questioning why things are and how to make them better. I love it. And Emily, is there a book that lights you up? Yeah, um, the most pivotal book in my life is called Comfortable with Uncertainty by Pema Chodron. It's one that I read from often when I teach yoga. Um, I keep it in my backpack for daily doses of uh, motivation and support. And she's a a Buddhist thinker who writes in a very accessible way to tap into your ability to keep perspective and um, always find the sweetness no matter what life is throwing at you and how many tigers or sharks are coming from all different directions. It sounds like this book helps you stay optimistic. Is that safe to say? Um, I wouldn't say optimistic as much as just understanding and having perspective that there's always an ability to, to find a little bit of beauty in life. Mm, I love it. And uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted that's really impacted your operation, uh, whether it be communication, uh, profitability, efficiency? Uh, and I see you are using some cool technologies like Resi, Caviar, Bento Box. Is there anything else that really lights you up? I think if we set it on the count of three, we'd say the same thing. Uh, yeah, Slack. Slack. Oh, you, you <laughs> Slack. Slack. Tell us about Slack. Why does that get you excited? Because it um, it create it takes the communication out of text and email and creates like this um, streamlined, transparent sort of um, corkboard online for everybody to see what's going on and for you to be able to have a workflow of communication in many different channels that everyone can check in and be attuned to. Like for instance, even we use it on a managerial level. But we even use it for like instead of like, you know, there's normally like bar notebooks behind the bar for the bartender to tell the, you know, the following services bartender what's low and this and that. That's all done through Slack channels like shift coverage. If someone's looking for a shift to be picked up is done through Slack so that management can see like repairs has its own channel. So anyone who sees anything about repairs can just dump that in for my director of operations to check in on and then schedule. So it's been a tremendous tool for um quickly transferring key information. And for us, when we're off site to be able to tap in. Uh, yeah. I've heard really great things about Slack. Is it free to start? Yes. And it, I'm looking at their website right now. Does it get to a point where you ever have to pay anything or how does that work? I don't think so. I don't think our team is like, you know, I think Slack is probably, you probably have to pay when you start getting to a bigger business. But since we separate ours into three different, like Slack, um, uh, 
so the, you know, the like big point channel, is channel. it's free to start. So basically, I, just, I wasn't sure if there was an expense to it. So these are tools, guys, that are free. They're out there that you can leverage them to improve communication, to bring everybody on the same page. Like, do go to the show notes. This is episode 354. Uh, find the link. Start leveraging these tools. And uh, the other tools I was really curious about, I just wanted to quickly ask, like, why you chose these platforms over others. Uh, Resi is a, a platform that I've heard of a couple times. I know... Uh, uh, Gary Vaynerchuk is one of the guys that's really behind this platform. Like, why Resi over, say, OpenTable or, Reser- or Reserve.com? We used to use OpenTable. Um, we've never been a very reservation oriented restaurant. Yeah. We're much more of like a waitlist oriented restaurant. Um, and just by nature of the food and the pace and everything like that. So, um, OpenTable is, I feel, more for reservations and its waitlist feature is not mm-hmm. as intuitive as Resi's. Resi gives you the ability to have a direct text conversation with people on your waitlist to let them know when their table is ready. If they go up into the neighborhood to have a walk or a drink, they can let you know that they're running 15 minutes late if they do have a reservation. Um, it's much more intentional as opposed to automated. And um, their tech support is, because they are such a small company, really accessible. Um, Brandon Barton, who's one of their um, salesmen and leaders, um, has always been someone I can get in contact with in 10 minutes if I need. Awesome. And uh, Caviar, I'm curious, why did you choose Caviar, which is a uh, delivery service for food, uh, over, say, like some of the other options in New York, which I'm sure there's a bunch? Yeah, I like Caviar because they, uh, I think they have nicer restaurants on there. So it's okay. a little bit, goes a little better with our brand. brand but they have their own drivers. Like when we first started looking at, you know, delivery options, a place like Seamless was just a platform, but you still have to have your own, um, you're still doing delivery people. So the order could come in through a Seamless, but you, you'd still have to deliver it. And we just don't really have the space to have, or the original restaurant didn't have the space to have like bikes and, and like, you know, running through the dining room with like the delivery guys. So it was just easier to have an outsource where an order comes in, we make it, they pick it up and then it's, it's, that's their thing from there on. You know, it's just, it's just much more convenient. Awesome. And, uh, your website is gorgeous. Uh, and I love the work that bento box does. Uh, why did you choose bento box? I'm curious. We, we just moved to bento box when we moved into the city and they are so designed for restaurants and, I did that whole, I do all of our aesthetic stuff, um, all of our branding and everything. And I designed that um, with Bento Box specifically. Um, So uh, they're just very easy to work with and they really understood the vision that I wanted. And um, I feel like did a good job of helping lay it out in the way that we needed. So what would you say their strength is? Is it it capturing your brand, capturing your vision and getting your message across online? Is that what they do? Yeah, for sure. And um, they um, they have a very easy to use back end back end to the website. So we're able to manage our um, like online sales or gift certificates or inquiry forms or even like fiddle around with the layout of the pages and post notifications in a way that was much more challenging for Matt with the previous um, with that IT degree, but the previous uh, web um, holder that we were using. Okay. What were you using before? I'm curious. I don't remember. Is it called like Blue Note or something? I don't know what it was. Okay. Interesting. Or was it, was it, it was hard to use. 
Got you. Okay, so we're almost done uh, with all the knowledge you have now. If you go back in time, maybe back to 2014 when you're about to pull the trigger on this first restaurant and give yourself the past version of Emily and Matt one piece of business advice, what would it be? Um, just, I think, hire, hire enough people to <laughs> give yourself a break once in a while. Don't burn yourself out. I mean, I think that's really what it is. Uh, it's like we, like, I think when we first started Emily, there was like nine people working there, including us. And like now, now like the restaurant has like 22 people at it or, or something like oh, that. Wow. So it's just hire enough people and, you know, don't be a hero. Like, you know, give <laughs> 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 yourself a little time off if you need it. Awesome. And is there one question I could have asked or one topic we could have discussed that would have brought more value to this conversation? Maybe something that we didn't get to discuss that you're hoping we would. Um, I don't know. That was a good interview. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you got, any thoughts, Emily? No, I don't think so. I just, um, in terms of that last bit that you asked Matt, um, if I were to answer going back in time, um, there's this story and I'm terrible at recapturing these little axioms, but essentially like, you know, this man, um, goes on, this wealthy man goes on vacation to this little fishing village, you know, somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And he meets this fisherman and has a good, great few days there with the fisherman. And he says, you know, like you could actually, if you, if you, um, you know, get a few more boats and I could invest in this, then you do X, Y, and Z, we could create a little business here. And then in, you know, 20 years, you can retire and, and be taken care of for the rest of your life. And the fisherman responds, well, you know, I'm already, I'm already here enjoying the ocean and enjoying my one little boat and enjoying my life. So I just think for people who are headed into business, just making sure they're doing it for the right reasons and um, not overlooking the beauty that already exists in their lives. I love it. I really do. Beautiful way to end this. And uh, we wrap up every episode by calling somebody out. Uh, so who is one independent restaurant operator, somebody you two admire and think would make a great guest mentor on the show? Uh, I mean, like the the guy who taught me to make pizza, his name is Luca Aragoni, and um, he owns Sota Casa Restaurant. And um, I think he's, he has a small pizza place started in Brooklyn and he has one up now and up in Harlem and like he's expanding as well. He's got a mobile oven and uh, you know, he taught me to make pizza. He took a chance on me to, you know, teach me how to do that. And like, he's, he's doing it also. So I'm, I'm, you know, besides being my mentor, he makes great pizza and I think he's got a lot of good business as well. And he's also given himself the opportunity to pursue a passion as a skier and ski instruction, uh, ski instructor through this whole process. Wow. So he's a ski instructor and he owns two restaurants. Yeah, exactly. He's going to have some good (laughs) advice for us to be able to do that. Um, Beautiful. So that's it. Uh, We just, we're just going to find out how we can uh, reconnect with you. If we want to pick up the conversation, maybe we have some questions about some of the advice you offered. Maybe we want to come join your team. Maybe we're in New York and we want to come learn how to play or make pizza with you. Sure. We would love to have you in. We're at pizza. Pizza loves Emily. Pizza loves Emily on Instagram, Twitter, and then I think it's pizza loves Emily.com, correct? Yeah. All no right. Twitter, just uh, Instagram, Facebook, and the website. Got it. I'll have that in the show notes. This is episode 354. 
Emily, Matt, thank you guys so much for coming on the show, for opening up, for getting real, uh, being genuine, sharing what you know has contributed to your success. Uh, there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. I can't wait to see what pizza loves Emily looks like in another three years from now. Neither can we. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Thank you. Wow, I really loved uh, this conversation today. And I'll be honest, when I was in the middle of it, I kind of felt like things were getting dark and kind of down. And after listening to it again, after just going through the editing process, uh, I loved it. You know, I loved it because it was real. And I, I can't remember exactly how I discovered Pizza Loves Emily. I think I was just doing some research and they popped up and I, I, you know, saw that they're relatively new, but they've also had extreme success and they've grown rapidly over the past few years. And I want to start, uh, talking to the people who are going through the crazy the craziness right now. A lot of our guests they've been in business for 5 plus years, 10 years, even like as many years as like 20 years, but it's really interesting to see the people who are new to the game in the sense that they're new to ownership and that they're just killing it and what's going through their minds right now. How are they dealing with it right now? And I think we got a a real genuine taste of what's happening with Matt and Emily uh, that, you know, they're, they're successful, they're growing, but it's hard. It's real hard. This, this industry is taxing it. It takes its toll on you. It, It will, it will bring you down. And I think Emily, uh, the way she's dealing with this, uh, with her mindfulness of just, you know, knowing that, uh, there are reasons why she got into this and to remind yourself about why you got into this in the first place. That's why the intro was really long today. Uh, I felt like that really kind of encapsulated today's conversation about, uh, how hard it was. I mean, they're only three years into this. They have three locations. Uh, they're talking about how they, they were working every day, six days a week, you know, 365, I think is how many days in a year, like nonstop to get to the point where they, they're finally starting to delegate, where they're finally starting to remove themselves from the day to day. But guys, it's going to take time. It's going to be really hard. You're, you're going to test yourself harder than you've ever tested yourself before. And they literally are, have given up everything for this restaurant to see this restaurant become successful. I think, you know, what I want to stress is that if you do show up every day and give it everything you have and you're, you are consistent and you do continuously improve and that you do invest in your people and developing your people and creating those systems, those processes, those procedures over time, you can slowly remove yourself from the day to day and life does get easier. But, you know, don't lose sight of what got you into this industry in the first place. And I think Emily's advice on just mindfulness and really being aware of your personal health and what's going on around you, taking a step back and not sacrificing yourself too much for the success of the business, but finding that, that line, uh, knowing when, when to stay, take a step back and invest in yourself and your, your personal health, um, is just really important too. And then Matt, great, example of what we should be doing if we have dreams of opening a restaurant, uh, not just going to culinary school and, uh, 
feeling entitled to all these things, but really busting your ass, discovering what really lights you up, what fuels your passion, finding your niche and leaning into it, doing it better than anybody else does it and just find opportunities to open other restaurants and other people's dollars and just grow gradually and consistently over time and not burn any bridges along the way. Uh, great interview today was awesome. Making an example of the both of you, uh, beautiful stuff. All right, guys, please do connect with me, Eric Cacciatore on Instagram and Twitter. That's E R I C C A C C I A T O R E and slash restaurant unstoppable on Facebook. You can also email me Eric at restaurant unstoppable dot com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Who's crushing it in your community? Who's the mentor? Everybody wants to go work for to learn this industry. I want to know who they are. I want to get them on the show. I want to make an example of them. I want to learn from them together with all of you. And, uh, Anything I can do to improve the show, please let me know. Uh, like we always talk about on the show, always looking to improve. You, you always have to improve. You always have to do a little bit better to become successful. And that's where I'm at. I'm still at that growth stage. I feel like I'm always trying to do things a little bit better. So don't be afraid to tell me. Make me cry. Uh, tell me whatever you need to tell me uh, to, to make this show better. I, I can take it. I promise. Uh, I, get, I, I think that's it. Um, so... Thank you guys so much uh, for sticking around this long. Special shout out to Jared, my man, who's taken over the editing and promotion. So grateful to have him on the team. He's crushing it. And uh, yeah, until next time, peace out.